and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I am Mitch Michaels, and thank you for joining this sports podcast. Delighted, as always, to have you listening as we recap the Super Bowl on today's show. My good buddy Ryan Souls calls in to talk about the Chiefs' triumphant win, the first ring for Pat Mahomes, the first long-awaited ring for Andy Reid, how the Niners could have played a little better, could they coached a little different. We break down the game from every angle, and then talk about the Hall of Fame class this year, 2020, the Centennial class, an interesting one. We look ahead to future classes as well. Then I talked to Todd Speedburner Robinson about the NBA trade deadline. Some moves that were made. We talked yesterday. There's already been some action since then. We break down the NBA All-Star rosters and what teams look good down the stretch run of the NBA. It's Todd Robinson and Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect to recap the Super Bowl. Chiefs triumphant victory over the Niners. Good buddy, friend of the show, Ryan Souls. Ryan, thanks for coming on board. Man, happy to be here. It's crazy that the NFL season is officially done. Yeah, man, it really is. Uh, it was capped in uh, dramatic style yet again with the Chiefs winning their first Super Bowl in over 50 years, beating the Niners, as we mentioned. The score not really indicative of how the game was and how the game ended up. Ryan was a final of 31 to 20, but. The Chiefs did come back from 10 late in the fourth quarter, uh, basically midway through the fourth quarter, and then they won by 11, covering the spread, which is kind of crazy to think about. 10 points, surprisingly, ties the second most, uh, t- second biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. Obviously, the Patriots-Falcons was number one, but it also makes the Chiefs the first team in NFL history to come back from three double-digit deficits in the playoffs and route to a Super Bowl. So <coughs> starting there, man, the Chiefs were the cardiac kids this run. And uh, never out of a game, it seems. Uh, just props to Andy Reid, props to Pat Mahomes, and the rest of the crew for getting it done. Absolutely. I mean, this was a really remarkable season from start to finish. And, you know, we forget that Patrick Mahomes uh, dislocated his kneecap in the middle of the season. And, you know, Matt Moore had to step in, and this team really didn't know what was going to happen. And, other guys were hurt, and this team just stayed the course. They didn't; they weren't a team built on power and running the football, but they were definitely a tough team to be able to respond how they did in the playoffs and ultimately how they did in the Super Bowl. So just remarkable for Andy Reid. I'm happy for him, and um, I'm happy for Patrick Mahomes too. Yeah, um, and I actually think we, we can look back at it, but I think I might have said this, but Moore did a solid job, and I think what it really taught the Chiefs was especially that defense that, okay, it's not just Mahomes. Other guys have to step up. So it might have been a blessing in disguise that they were able to weather that storm, get battle-tested early when they went from being the talk of the league to having to fight and then getting a, a break to get that home field, uh, that, that first round by uh, with the Patriots losing in the last week. Uh, first thing first, uh, Andy Reid, it seems like everybody in the football world, Ryan, was rooting for this guy. There's very few things, especially online, that people all agree on, but it seemed like everyone pretty much was happy that Reed at 61, being such a great coach for so long, got his first ring and cemented his status as, behind Belichick, probably the next greatest coach of this generation. I mean, you know, I really have to think about it, but, you know, you might be right. And when you got Cowboys fans rooting for Andy Reed, you know he's a special, special guy. And every player from... You know, now Patrick Mahomes to Terrell Owens to Donovan McNabb, Deshaun Jackson, all these guys love to play for him. 
um, you know, the Hugh Douglases of the world talk about him. So it's just, it's, it's really remarkable to see him win a Super Bowl. And like you said, you know, we really have to think about it, but he, he definitely might be the, the second best coach of the generation. It's funny. We only think about Bill. We don't think about anybody else. Yeah. But, that's uh, such a clear gap it's, for sure. It's such a clear gap, but you know, you might be right. I mean, I think he's had uh, definitely ten or I mean, the, the amount of double-digit win seasons that he's had. I mean, consistently wise, there's nobody else. And I was thinking about this. Other than Belichick, I mean, who has multiple rings? Tomlin has one. Harbaugh got one. I mean, I don't know. I mean, who? What active coaches? I mean, Carroll obviously did it at the college level too, but at the NFL, it's not even close. I don't think for sustained success. He was a borderline Hall of Fame coach just because the Super Bowl is that glaring weakness, but now that he has it, and by the way, 61, not exactly old in this day and age, and this team, the window isn't exactly closed either. One might not be the only one he gets. No, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how long he definitely decides to coach because, like you said, 61 is is young uh, in coaching years, but you never know what get that monkey off your back does for a person and I'm not saying he's going to retire or anything like that but when you do that I think it puts a lot of things in perspective when you accomplish something so great and I hope we see Andy for a long time but you never know you never know you never know um and and obviously if he doesn't coach another game he's cemented his legacy and his place in the game uh speaking of the Super Bowl itself getting back to that Super Bowl 54 in Miami I thought the game was solid I, I I think we've kind of been spoiled by some of the classics in our lifetime. It wasn't the best game, but it was it was competitive all the way out. And I kind of like the struggles that each offense had to go through at times. The Niners at the end, and then the Chiefs, uh, you know, early in the game with the Niners' defense and their game plan early, which was to basically slow down and and basically put together some long drives. So I thought the game was was solidly played. And uh, I want to just start from the beginning, Ryan, because in the first half. You saw things that we weren't really expecting. It was 10, 10 and a half, a lower scoring first half. But you saw the Chiefs really, really struggle with that Niners defense, especially their front. And you also saw what I thought was a really good Chiefs defensive effort where, you know, they, they were in the first half keeping their offense in it, which we, we actually saw a few times this year. But mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of weird to see it on the biggest stage. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about the, the Niners first, I mean, that first half, they really had control of the game. They were controlling the tempo. They were controlling the line of scrimmage. And to be honest, it, had things kept up like they should have, the Chiefs really couldn't block them up front. And they were exploiting uh, Fisher with Bosa and the interior where they were getting movement as well. So... The fact that I was shocked there were no holding calls in this game, to be honest. Well, uh, it, it's Vinovich, and, and we both have our thoughts on him. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we both have been affected by him and his refereeing in the past. And uh, the officiating was not my favorite aspect of this game. Uh, I Well, you know, I, okay, so I have a love-hate with the officiating. I was talking to someone else about this because although I didn't like the, the non-holding calls, for the most part they let them play. And you you know how much I hate pass interference in general. Right. So the fact that they let them play and they were physical at the line of scrimmage with the skill guys on both sides, I like it. I well, do. they did for like 99% of the time. Exactly. Except for a couple <laughs> high-profile pass interference calls that seemed to right. go against the Niners' way, which the Kittle call, I mean, 
the setting of it was, and this is where I think Shanahan deserves some some blame, the most blame in this game, and we can dive into it now, but uh, they didn't manage the timeouts the right way at the end of the first half. They definitely let a lot of clock, a lot of time run off the clock, whether that was because they were afraid of whether they were happy with the 10-10 tie and didn't want Garoppolo to throw. It seems more and more likely that might have been the case, but that Kittle call, I've seen it called on Gronk in the past. It's just very rarely called. So if you're going to call that uh, that light little brush up pass interference, which by the way didn't quite look as bad as uh, or as much contact as the one in the, the Saints Kyle play. Rudolph play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, yeah. okay, if if that's the standard, which on a fan, on one hand, it's like okay, good, the defense is getting some calls. But on the other hand, I like to see him play, and I don't think that was that seemed like a little bit of some fighting. Uh, I didn't really like that call. You know, the other one, the one in the end zone with uh, the pass interference before the Chiefs made it a three-point game, he didn't turn around, which I understand is the rule. He actually didn't make contact with him. That was a little ticky-tack as well. These were key moments. I wouldn't say they're egregious calls, but you know, this is an uh, officiating crew that throughout the year we can look at it and has kind of made a, a bunch of those calls. So it was one of those things where I think just us as football fans, like the physical side, we might not have wanted those penalties. Mm-hmm. I agree with you there 100%. Now, Mahomes is interesting because he got Super Bowl MVP, and we can debate whether or not he deserved it, Ryan, but he willed his team back again. Uh, That said, the first half was about as bad as I've seen him play in the NFL in a long time. So on one hand, the Niners were making him look very, very human early, didn't do enough offensively to, to take advantage of that. And on the other hand, the way he adjusts and is able to just make big plays consistently in the second half of these games is just otherworldly. Well, if you think about it, it's so hard to even have a perspective like this considering they just won the Super Bowl, but I guess this is what the coaches get paid to do. But if you look starting at the beginning of the playoff stretch, Patrick Mahomes hasn't started well at all. So I don't know if going forward you're really looking at this saying, okay, how do we not let this happen with with as high-powered as our offense is? Why does every high-pressure game need to be a comeback, and I'm being a little tangential, but just to get back to Patrick in this game particularly, yeah, he didn't start the game well at all, but I think because, you know, he was getting hit and he really hadn't seen pressure like this with the coverage behind because they were able to drop so many back in coverage. They were keeping everything in front of them. They weren't letting the track stars get behind anybody. So when you can't exploit any of those uh, matchups early on, it makes it difficult, and the 49ers showed you why you know they had gotten that. Yeah, uh, and just a, just another thing to kind of bring this into perspective, Pro Football Focus has the advanced metric analytic grades of how these players panned out. Uh, oh. You know, Bosa was second highest by a mile uh, on, on his D-line. Kendall Fuller actually had the top for the, for the whole game for the Chiefs for his coverage. I mean, because the Niner receivers weren't getting separation themselves. But back to the other side of it. I mean, Fisher couldn't block Bosa. The, the Niners' D-line D was coming. They got into a dogfight early. I mean, the Chiefs didn't have many possessions this game. I mean, I was looking at it, Ryan. It was like seven or eight by the time they got that ball when they cut into the lead in the fourth quarter. I think that's part of it, too. You keep the ball out of his hands. But uh, you can only do it for so long. I think what this game will be remembered for, uh, maybe as much as anything, Ryan, is the third and 15 play to Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, I mean, that was a huge play. What is Somebody counted it as an 11-step drop. He just kept dropping back. And, he, and they both almost got him. It was close. Oh, it was very close. And I mean, and he just let it go. And, you know, and – 
I don't like I say we're not coaches. We I'm not gonna I know a little bit, but I'm not gonna try to get dive into the huge schematics. But on third and fifteen, I gotta ask you this: wouldn't wouldn't Bill Belichick have number ten covered? Double covered. You know, they did such a good job basically all game with him, except for on that big play. And, and look, we uh, I, love, I love Belichick's coaching, coaching genius as much as you, but his defenses have had breakdowns. And, and I don't know if it was schematic. I know that it was it was a breakdown. Did the players just forget their assignment? It, it happens, unfortunately, even on the best defenses. Um, you know, and, and props to, uh, to Damian Williams, too, because another undrafted running back, a lot like Mostert, who both went after it, and uh, I thought Williams should have been the MVP personally, even with that last uh, touchdown run being a, a big chunk of his yardage. That was the, the clincher for sure. Um, he was the difference in this game, and he turns into another player in the playoffs. I'm not going to put him on like that Robert Ori level, but look at his production, especially scoring, and it's almost night and day in the regular season versus the playoffs. It was night and day. I agree with that 100%. He played exceptionally well, getting key first downs, I'm I'm happy Andy Andy Reid ran the ball 29 times, but about your MVP comment when the game was over, I agree with you, and I thought that Damian Williams should have been the MVP. But when I thought about it, and I went back and watched it, and you know me, I'm the last guy to, to lean towards the quarterback uh, for anything. But although Damian Williams had some key runs and I'm not even taking away from him that a chunk of his yards came on that uh, walk-off play, literally, it was Mahomes' arm that got them back in the game. Like that one key drive where they drove the length of the field, I think it was in after he threw that second interception and literally got them back in the game, that immediately you could see that change the way the 49ers called the game yeah. because you get a first down, you get five yards on first down, and then the next play and the play after you're throwing it because well, for, for whatever reason you're, you're, you're not going to yeah. take your, your five-yard clip. So I right. think you know it's Patrick Mahomes' arm that gets them back in the game. Well, and I agree, but we we can kind of this is good. We can kind of disagree a little bit because I actually don't think Shanahan did that much wrong in this situation. Okay. I go back to Jimmy G had throws to make and didn't make them. Now, I also think um, I also think Spagnolia on the defensive side for the Chiefs started, and you can look at the you know you can look at the film. He started to line up more and more and really try to take away the run. Like they were coming, they were they were yeah. Just, they had a bunch of guys in the yeah, box. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and look, the throw to Sanders when they were down is the big one, right? He hits you got to make that. He you hits him, and he's that. made that throw. There's clips all over the internet of him making that throw this year for that's, touchdowns. That's the Kirk Cousins throw to Thielen. Like, yep. literally. you well, got to make that throw. How about the one when they were up three where he had Kittle wide open? Oh, and he missed it. Yeah, yeah, And he saw uh-huh. Kittle's reaction, too. I yep. mean, there were – it's easy to say, you know, that he they could have ran the ball more. They could have tried to take time off the clock. But are we having – I mean, are we having the same conversation, just a different version of it? If they ran the ball three times, got stuffed, and then Mahomes came back, we're like, why didn't he let Jimmy G make throws? That's why you pay him all this money. It's easy to second-guess coaches, and I just think that in this in this situation, I can point to a quarterback that had a good year, not a great one, that had a good game at times. Remember, he, he only gave, you know, I think he was, what, at one point, like 15 for 17 mm-hmm. in the game, but didn't he have was. a great one. And if he has no. a great game, if he makes a couple of great throws... He's probably hoisting the trophy. So 
that mm-hmm. that's how slim the margins are at this game, and that is how special Mahomes is. Is that after having a, a clunker, he could come up with some big throws. He can use his legs, and uh, they can use some exceptional play calling to get the get the uh, skill players the ball. We didn't even talk about Bianami's great offensive game plan and that innovative uh, fourth down play where they mm-hmm. where they used it as well. So they were aggressive yeah. too. This was an aggressive Andy Reid team. Absolutely, they were aggressive. They were aggressive, but they were also conservative when they need to be. Like I said, they ran the ball 29 times, and they were gashing and uh, when they needed to because I don't think uh, the 49ers were really expecting that at the times that Andy Reid decided to run it. So, I mean, just overall offensive game plan I think was excellent. Obviously, Patrick missed some throws early, but there were some key, thri- some key drives and key throws that um, – really got them back in the game and ultimately led to the win. It was a tough one for Richard Sherman. I mean, not his uh, best game. Uh, and uh, look, I, I, I've i said my piece on him. He's a really good cornerback. I just don't his coverage skills at, at the level of these other all-time greats. And I think uh, part of that is what makes him special is he's so smart, maybe the smartest player back there that could read the defense and help out in the run. And, you know, schematically he fits perfect into the right system, which is what the Niners have. Mm-hmm. But they got him in space. Sammy Watkins torched him. Hill shook him a little bit, and then Williams on that last touchdown. So um, not his best game, unfortunately, for him and the Niners. No, not at all. I mean, and you know, to your point, he does what they ask him to do in that scheme. He did the same thing in Seattle. And I think anytime you have guys that can get anyone in, you know, in space with the way they run, you're going to be be able to exploit it. And I think Sherman, because the whole thing with Revis, I think we were paying attention to it more. And was it, I think Watkins got him bad on that one play, mm-hmm. I think is what it was. And, you know, I think all eyes were kind of on it because of the dialogue that was had previously. So, you know, he got torched for sure. But, you know, there's it's a bunch of guys getting torched against yeah. that. Sure is, sure is. Well, again, for the Niners, this was one of the worst teams in the league a year ago. They're in the Super Bowl. I know there's no guarantee that once you make it that you'll get back, but mm-hmm. I think the window's pretty open for them, too. Now, the quarterback thing's going to be something to see down the road if they're fully tied to Jimmy G. Shanahan's kind of, you know, not committing in his postgame thoughts that he thought he played okay. That, that seemed like it was a deliberate kind of assessment, mm-hmm. but... I think this team, the way they're built, I mean, contract-wise, they got a few years here where they don't really have to have to pay a lot of their big high draft picks. And the way the offense is built, they might not have a lot of high na- uh, high paid guys in that system with Shanahan calling plays successfully. No, um, you know, they might not need to have a lot of high paid guys in the system. To your point, but I think on the defensive side of the ball, their strength was their defensive line rotation, and I think. You know, you try to build on that strength and because in the NFC, they're going to be the standard. People are going to be coming after them, judging their offensive line against their front four, especially those in their division. And I think if you're the 49ers at this point, especially not knowing what you have with Jimmy Garoppolo, you've got to lean in, I think, all the way on what got you there the bells and whistles that's ultimately a power run game and a defensive rotation that was giving guys havoc until yeah. you ran in the, they, they said Michael Jordan and cleats. I don't know about all that, but 
you ran into a phenom for sure. Well, we'll see what happens down the road. Props again to the uh, the Chiefs for winning the Super Bowl. They were, I mean, they were partying today as we record this. Mm-hmm. On yeah, I saw Tra- I saw Travis Kelsey. He was he was having a good time. They was, deserved it. You know that city and that oh, fan base. I mean, they they you know they've been waiting. Good people. They deserved it. Mahomes is special. I mean, youngest yeah. to have a Super Bowl and an MVP. He's under twenty five. So got a feeling it won't be the last one for last parade for that franchise uh, when you have a guy like that. So again, props to them uh, for sure. Ryan Souls here on the Money Mitch Effect. I do want to mention uh, before we put a bow on football season, the Hall of Fame stuff. Uh, but before I do that, I think it's worth mentioning, Ryan. We're also college guys, and I was a little stunned by D'Antonio stepping down at Michigan State a day before signing day. Yeah, I was too, and I, I don't know if the you know the lawsuit has anything to do it's with that. It's fishy, man. I mean, yeah, it is it is fishy. So I don't know. <laughs> Thirteen <laughs> years. <laughs> Thirteen years at Michigan State, by far their most successful coach ever, and uh, I think had the most Big Ten wins in like that in like a seven eight year span with what he was able to do. Uh, so good luck finding a replacement for that. It's just fishy because he said he's retiring sixty three. You know, not old, not not super old, not super young, could be a retirement, but he retires a day before signing day and like two weeks after uh, accepting a bonus for, for getting past like in January 15th. So the timing is weird. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. If I'm Michigan State, I'm asking for that money back. <laughs> Good and, luck. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, I would not be shocked at all if we saw him in a year or two on someone else's sideline because that's just how college football works. It is. It is. I, uh, I If I was getting forced out not saying he was, I'm just I'm doing all in my power to take as much money with me. So, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I agree 100%. So, Michigan State looking for a new coach. Uh, the Hall of Fame was announced in the NFL. Last thing we're going to talk about here on the Money Mitch Effect with Ryan Souls and uh, Ryan Interesting class. Wasn't what was fully expected, but I think I'm okay with that. You look at some of the names that made it. Uh, who stands out to you? Obviously, you had a feeling that Troy Palomaro was going to be headlining this class, but we saw Edger and James, Steve Atwater. They get in. Uh, Isaac Bruce gets in. I mean, and uh, Hutchinson being the other one. So it was an interesting class, and I think a lot of guys that have waited a long time finally getting their number called. Yeah, definitely an interesting class. Like you said, the the guy that jumps off is... It's Troy Palomalu. I think the other guys are just, you know, along with Troy, are just really deserving guys. Uh, some of them are longer than others, and they were great at their positions. And it's a shame that, you know, some of them have to wait so long. Some of them still waiting so long, as we're both upset about. But, you know, these are the guys who got in. And, you know, no, I don't think there's any shame in, in any of these guys to me. Yeah, um, I want to point out to uh, Isaac Bruce, I think that was the right call for receiver. There's like a log jam there. I would have taken him, given the weight and given the career, honestly, over a guy like Torrey Holt. Um, Steve Atwater, uh, I think, is a good one. He was a uh, – look him up, kids. He was just one of the hardest hitters of his era for sure. Oh, yeah, his position is eliminated from the NFL. <laughs> like he, he, he can't play that way anymore and it's a relic and kind of miss it. A lot of seniors uh, in the committee uh, going this year for the Centennial class. The coaches are Bill Cowher and Jimmy Johnson. Don't have a huge problem with them. I think Jimmy, it's it's good he's in there. And uh, Cowher, I mean, I had some other names that I, I liked, like a Don Croyle, but um, maybe that'll be next year for him. But we got to get Drew Pearson in one of these years, man. Yeah, we definitely got to get Drew Pearson in. That I saw the videos. That was just heartbreaking. And on the coaching front, 
you know, I know we talked about, you know, Flores and for some sure. other guys, but it was, it was a shame that Jimmy Johnson wasn't in the Hall of Fame, and I'm so glad he's in now, and it, it's ridiculous that it's been this long. He led those Dallas Cowboys teams, you know, to my dismay, uh, the three, you know, Super Bowls. Barry Switzer got one of them, but it was Jimmy Johnson's team. And, uh, you know, Jerry Jones didn't put the man in the ring honor. This man deserves a gold jacket. He does. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, let's talk about, though, next year. Next year, 2021 being one of the hardest years to crack the Hall of Fame that I can remember. Only five members are going to get picked from the from the traditional uh, pool of, of selecting. And we know for a fact, Ryan, that two off the top gone, signed, sealed, delivered, Peyton and Charles Woodson. Mm-hmm. 100%. 120%. I mean, 100%. And we know who's speaking last, too. Sorry, Charles. I mean, you had a great career, but... <laughs> yeah, the, sh- the sheriff is speaking last. <laughs> yeah. uh, would you put Calvin Johnson in first ballot? So that's hard for me. Obviously, at his peak, he's one of the greatest to ever do it. I just... It, it's hard for me to... It, with the longevity aspect, you know, I, I ask you this. Was he as impactful on the game at his position as Gronk was at his, and they played around the same amount of time? And that might be an unfair question to ask, but when you when we're going to look at longevity now, because you know people might be start talking about Keekly five years yeah. down the road and these guys who haven't played a long time, and maybe that's a trend. I think we have to start looking at a way to compare. If the right. longevity ultimately is it going to be there, and I don't, I don't know if you can without being fair to some of the Ironmen because of the nature of the sport. I think it's going to be tough for him to get in first year, and here's why. I think the precedent might have been set with Terrell Davis because he yeah. had to wait a while, longer than I thought yeah. he should. And he had, and he had a seven-year career. Is that right? Yeah, but really only four or five years, and he was the maybe the best running back in football, including 100%. Super Bowl runs where he's absolutely still got his records. playoff record is ridiculous. So I think it's going to be tough for him. I don't know if a receiver gets in next year, Holt being the other one. It's going to be tough to crack that. The other name up next year, Ryan, is Patrick Willis. Does he get in first year? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the same Calvin Johnson argument, I think. I mean, he, he didn't play as long either. And I definitely think if you double Patrick Willis's career, literally he just does the exact same thing. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. Might have gotten a Super Bowl, you never know. But I think it's, he's in the same boat with Calvin Johnson. I don't or, know if he's the yeah. guy. Rondé Barber is the other one, too, that uh, is up for the first year. So this is a loaded class coming in. I still think next year will be the time he had one of the linemen go. Tony Baselli's time, I think, is next year. So mm-hmm. I would I would put him in. Obviously, and he was a finalist, I think, this year. So he might have a better chance. Obviously, I'm a homer for Clay Matthews. I think it's ridiculous that he didn't, Junior being the one that played for the Browns, wasn't a finalist. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be tough for him to go from semi to final in this year. I would hope that it, the linebacker goes. It's probably going to be Zach Taylor that gets the nod. I think he's got a chance to go uh, as well. He but does. It's, it's not going to be easy for sure. You know, next year, I guess 2022, if we're really projecting, you got Demarcus Ware and Jared Allen coming to the mix. So it's not going to be easier. So. I'm hoping as many guys get in. I, I hate that they cap it, but um, you know the Hall of Fame. It's it's a good debate to have, and I think most of these guys are Hall of Famers, and we just have to figure out a way and how to get them in. But yeah, we'll see, man. It's gonna be fun, and uh, now the football's gone. Uh, we just gotta wait another six months to really get to Canton and then get going. 
Oh, we're not going to do podcasts on the XFL? Yeah, no, man. I, you know, they're embracing gambling, and they got some, <laughs> some three-point conversion plays, so. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what uh, we'll, we'll see if I can get this contracted out, get a sponsorship from Vince and the boys. Yeah, sounds WWE, good. See what they can do. Uh, but appreciate you coming on all year, Ryan. This was fun talking football. Thanks for uh, coming on all those times on the Money Mitch Effect. Appreciate you, man. All right, huge thanks to Ryan Souls for coming on and talking football all season. And before we get to Ted Robinson, I want to point out there was the Mookie Betts trade in baseball. We're going to break down that and, and a lot of other deals that are coming up in the MLB next week. But very interesting, the, the Red Sox basically punning on a generational talent because they're a little far away on money. They might have spent it a little improperly, but that's a small market team move. I'm just a confused that they would do that, but... Dodgers are loaded for the 2020s and beyond. Uh, tough break for the Red Sox. Price going as well. Uh, a lot of a lot of movement for a salary dump. I'm just saying. All right, next up, Todd Robinson on the Money Mitch Effect. Talk the NBA trade deadline. We didn't get into everything because the deals hadn't been done yet. Uh, Diego Dalla deal was tra- he was traded to the Heat along with it looks like Dino Gallinari. We'll break down what happened, what we look forward to this year in basketball. And much more with Todd Speedbird Robinson on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, the trade deadline is here in the NBA. Speedburner is here to join us. Todd Robinson, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here, Mitch. Uh, always uh, fun to talk NBA, especially uh, right around the trade deadline, of course. It's an interesting time, you know, not just in the NBA, but in sports. We had our post-Super Bowl break, and we're, we're gearing up for basketball season here. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot going on, a lot in the world of the NBA, and it's starting to ramp up almost as if it's kind of scripted that we need that drama right when the Super Bowl ends and all eyes are on basketball. So we're going to talk about the trade, that the big trade that happened, some other rumored ones, talk about the All-Star game, some standings, and which teams could make a move uh, in regards to making that title push. But the big trade that happened so far, we were actually talking about recording something, and then this goes down, is that big four-team trade involving the Hawks, the Rockets, the Nuggets, and the Timberwolves. A lot of moving pieces, but... The mainstays of this are the Hawks now have Clint Capella. The Rockets got Robert Covington and Jordan Bell. Denver got a first-round draft pick, uh, a couple bit pieces in, in Napier and Gerald Green and some other names. And Minnesota and as Herman Gomez, Beasley, and also got uh, their first-round pick back as well. So there's a lot going on in that trade, Todd. But uh, as far as the stat goes for that, I read that it was the most players involved in one trade since Patrick Ewing got traded to the Sonics in 2000. So fun fact for you that that is a very deep fun fact uh, i did not know that fact yeah it's um a puzzling deal as we've talked as i talked with another friend of mine colleague of ours at work and and even zach Lowe mentioned that why is houston dealing capella when they need Every rebound and interior defense and block shot that yeah. he gives them, they um, go they go on a three game win streak, right? And I should also mention that the Timberwolves got Evan Turner, which is kind of the bigger haul that they got. But you know the the Rockets go on a three game win streak when Capella's out and they're going small. Okay, like we've seen flash in the pan success in any sport where you just kind of tape it together and try to go through. But I, I agree, like they can't think that this is sustainable. You're gonna you're gonna look right at the at the standings in the West and all those good bigs. How are they gonna stop any single one of them? 
Exactly. They, they just don't have the personnel and the size. I mean, they, they got that Hartenstein guy who's your classic big white stiff as far as, you know, his <laughs> career has told us so far. And you're dealing with Gobert. You're dealing with Jokic. You're dealing with Anthony Davis, uh, Clippers, where you got Montrez and uh, the big guy Zubak. Um, you got Stephen Adams at Oklahoma City. You got J Val at Memphis. Uh, Valen, I can never get that guy's name right. Valanciunas, or yeah, Valanciunas. Then you got Hassan Whiteside, and then you know the Spurs got uh, you know Lamarcus Aldridge, and and look, Jordan Bell is interesting. When Golden State drafted him, people really thought they got a nugget there. Uh, you got an athlete, very active. He hasn't really done much in his career, so. By default, he really has to play 20 minutes a night, even undersized. The guy's 6'8", 225, but he's got to play 20 minutes a night, you figure. Right. I mean, E.J. Tucker's going to He's what, 30, how old is he, 35 now? He's, th- he's 35 and he's, what, 6'5"? I mean, he plays with a lot of heart, but we're going to ask him to play 40 minutes a game down in the post. I mean, I don't see that. And I, exactly. and I actually, and I actually, Todd, I, I like Covington. He's the perfect three and D guy. We talked about him resembling like Danny Green on those old Spurs teams. But I don't think this is the right fit for him either. I mean, where is he going to get the shot selection from? This might be one of the worst fits for him in terms of him having a role and him actually getting the ball in his hands. When you think about Harden, Westbrook, and Gordon in addition to him, so I, I just, I'm not crazy about this. This sounds like a prayer, like a hail mary for the Rockets, and then I just don't see it being completed. But even as a Hail Mary, I, I just, size matters. Like, you know, the, the funny little phrase, but it, size frickin' matters. I, I don't get it. I got to think they're one and done in the playoffs. I, I really don't even yeah. care who they match up with. <laughs> I think yeah. they're one and done in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's a good, I think that's a good bet. Uh, Minnesota, just looking at their side, it's just a shame what's happened to them. Everyone, they, they had high hopes. I think they started the season kind of hot and then just completely tanked. Towns is unhappy. They're still trying to trade Wiggins. It just it doesn't seem like that's going to end in a happy result. Uh, the Nuggets, just to break down the other teams in this trade, the Nuggets seem like they're looking to maybe make another move. we got a day and a half, so we're recording this on Wednesday. We'll see what happens if they're trying to maybe acquire somebody else or just give themselves some flexibility with Porter developing, getting more minutes. The Hawks are one of the worst teams in the league now. But with Trey Young having a great year and now Capella, they might be building a foundation for something going forward. So the Hawks getting Capella, I think, was the big coup in all of this. Oh, without a doubt. It, the Hawks have all the pieces. It's just about ripening the fruit right, ripening um, at this point. You've got Trey Young and Huerta. They like that as a backcourt going forward, of course, because, you know, Trey Young gets all the headlines, but and for deservedly so. But um, Huerta's quietly really emerging as well and then you got collins uh at power forward so you add capella and well jesus you're you're done with your main pieces and then you just get the complementary role players around them and a bench and a mix of vets and and more youth and uh they're going places in a couple years I, i like it for them a lot yeah, there's still some shoes to drop in the NBA trade deadline chatting with Todd Robinson here on the Money Mitch Effect, but Hawks are trying to build for the future, and, and we'll see if they have something going forward. I know we've been talking about the uh, Iguodala thing in Memphis because it's really been heating up, Todd, where now the players on the team are kind of like, hey, this is a distraction. We, we kind of just want to move on with this, and we would like to play him and show him that we have a good team. I'm interested to hear your take on this because I don't think I think that this all started because no one really expected Memphis to be this fun this early, 
And now Iguodala is making making it uh, a point to not play for them, but that was kind of his point the whole year on. So I don't know if there's any side that's completely wrong in this. I just think it's another fun little competitive edge that guys like John Morant and Dylan Brooks are showing on a fun Memphis team. Without a doubt. But I don't think it's – I mean, you know, they got Jackson Jr. last year, and he's ripening. And John Morant is – you've got an elite freak athlete there. So you've got a freak athlete who's also got a lot of skill. Those are the ingredients for your all-timers and your Hall of Famers. And, you know, it, it's early in his career, but the guy's flashed just absurd highlights. He, he's one of the most exciting players in the league. And Valenoetius, if I butchered that again. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> he he's just rock solid in the middle, and he's getting and he's he's doing this in by the way twenty six minutes a night. You know mm-hmm. he doesn't even play thirty minutes a night, and he's fifteen ten and blocking a shot, and he's been been stronger than that lately. So yeah, they it's it's um it's nice to see, and D'Anthony De- Melton gives them a really nice well rounded minutes off the bench. He does a little bit of everything for them, and Jay Crowder's a real real solid veteran by now, who's a a good role player knows knows what he does well and and does it uh, you know pretty consistently. So um and they got the rookie, they got another rookie. They're so young, Brandon Clark. So. Yeah. Memphis, um, it's going to be fun to see them hopefully lock down that number eight seed and, um, you know, probably lose to the Lakers. But, uh, hey, you know, who knows? At least they got some size. Unlike Houston, at least they got some size to deal with the Lakers. I would like their chances to upset the Lakers more than Houston in a playoff series. Yeah, most likely. I also think that, you know, Iguodala's got to be careful with this. We talked about it as well. But, you know, they have to – if they don't trade him, they have to release him to get that – to also to get the buyout, the quote-unquote veteran buyout, uh, before March 1st, if they do it after, they basically sabotage his playoff chances of going on a roster, which is what happened to Ben Gordon on the way back when Bobcats. So it'll be interesting to see. I just I also don't know what Iguodala gives you. I mean, he's old. He's had injuries. I know he's a proven champion in clutch moments, but I don't, I don't know what's left. Yeah, Iggy's getting old now. And the funny thing is, you know, they don't even list him on the roster, even though he's on the roster and he gets a, gets a paycheck. It's a distraction, but I think really, and, you know, maybe, you know, Dylan Brooks brought it up, which, by the way, he's had a wonderful year, Dylan yeah. Brooks, this year. But, um, you know, he brought it up, but let's be honest, when, when they're at practice, there's Iggy's not there. When, when they're in the game, Iggy's not there. When they're in a timeout and the coach is telling them what to do and what adjustments to make, you know, Iggy's not there. So I don't think it's as big a distraction as people think. I think they will move him, though, just, you know, and, and yeah, he's he's very old by now. He was the 2004 draft, so you're talking 16 years. And he's, you know, so much of what he does was based on great athleticism, which has maintained itself nicely in a slower decline, but... Yeah. Uh, Someone's going to want him because he can do something in 12 or 15 minutes a night. I don't even think uh, you'd want to play him 20-25 like Golden State really had to in the playoffs the last few years. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, Some other names that have been circulating with uh, no deals yet, but some stars that we're kind of looking at maybe maybe getting dealt. Todd Drummond, who's kind of frustrated in Detroit. We mentioned Towns at the top. I don't think Minnesota's going to punt on him just yet, but... Uh, D'Angelo Russell is the one that, that keeps getting floated out there. And, and and that's one that's interesting to me because Golden State right now, Todd, worst record in the NBA. They're going to get Clay back next year. They might win the draft lottery. This feels like a wait till you see when the dust settles and make a big offseason restructuring. I actually don't think they're going to trade him, but I, but I could be wrong. 
Yeah, they don't need to be desperate to trade him. And it's always tough with the salary cap considerations and all that um, to to make a deal. So, you know, if, if he sits tight, I still think, yeah, they could be still a top three lottery ball team, as bad as that is. But, um, yeah, no, they, they could have that dynamic turnaround like the way the Spurs did 20-plus years ago, uh, getting to nab Duncan number one overall. This seems to me like, though, Todd, they're going to, if they win the lottery or get a top pick, they're going to flip that, kind of like use it as ammunition to get somebody a little older because the window is going to go with the Splash Brothers. So um, perhaps, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know why you would rush to trade for a guy GM, like that's, I, that's not how I run it if I'm the GM because they're getting to 30 now, mm-hmm. uh, the Splash Brothers, you know, and. There's got to be someone, if you got a top two, three pick, there's got to be someone who you think is good enough to also help immediately as well as build around it. I'm a big believer in building it, and also economically. Yeah. You know, it's you can stay under the cap easier when you're playing a rookie uh, contract. For sure. Well, uh, Todd, before we, we switch gears and, and leave the trade talk, uh, is there any other you know players or teams you think should make moves and maybe bolster their chances based on the standings or players in certain situations? To be honest, nothing comes to mind. I, I'm curious to see what happens and then see what the landscape is post this deadline and, and see what new fits we, we have to discuss and what new roles. And it's always interesting, I think, to see young guys who've been buried suddenly get a role because they've been traded. Um, and so hopefully a, a few of those flowers will emerge. And so um, I'm looking forward to that. But there's nothing that strikes me as like an obvious, oh, this guy for that guy deal, right, at this point. Yeah, I think uh, looking in the West, you know, Lakers and Clippers jockeying, but I don't know that they make that deal, even though L.A., the Lakers, have been kind of upset with, with Kuzma recently. Denver is the team I mentioned might make a move to try to get their hat in the contender race in the East. I, I don't know what Philly has. They're the team that's been struggling. All the other teams, I think from two to five, are happy to be in the positions that they are behind Milwaukee. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Todd Robinson here on the Money Mitch Effect. Speaking of uh, the Eastern Conference and the standings, Got to give you a second to talk about the guy that's probably going to win, hands down, the most improved player, uh, and that's Bam. Because what hasn't he done this year? He is so emerged. Everyone knew that his role was going to be expanded this year, and his minutes were going to go go up, and he would, um, you know, have probably career highs in points and rebounds. But I don't think people knew that suddenly he's going to be running the offense through. They're they're going to be running the offense through him. And he's going to be dishing five dimes a game. The guy's, he's triple-doubled this year. He's flirted with other triple-doubles uh, many times. Um, I know because I, I drafted him and uh, I'm, I'm in my fantasy hoops league. I'm very happy with Bam. But now, and he also plays some of the best post-defense in the league, in the entire league, without a doubt. So, and he was such a raw gem uh, coming out of the draft a few years ago. You knew he could run and jump uh, with the best of them. But uh, he was a very raw, raw nugget, um, and he's really refined his game. It, it's fun to see, and, and yeah, he's about as easy a uh, most improved winner as Siakam was last year. Yeah, I was just say, if, if, if Siakam wasn't, wasn't hurt, he might be in the running. He can win it twice based on becoming a premier guy. But now Bam, Bam is the choice this year. Uh, at 6'9", it's hard to say, like, you thought maybe he'd be too big for a small ball five, but he can run, play both ends of the court so well. And they can, as you said, run the offense through. Miami's been the surprise team for me. Maybe even more surprising than the Raptors 
you know, they've been they've been fighting and, and they've been kind of dealing with all the injuries and losing Kawhi and still at the top. But those two teams to be at the top where you have teams like Philly that have kind of fallen back a little bit when everyone anointed them. I think the East is going to be fun. I think one to six, Todd, it might be deeper than the West. And you still have, you know, Oladipo coming back for the Pacers. The Celtics are, are kind of gaining steam. East playoffs are going to be fun. I know Milwaukee is at the top. And, and what can't you say about Giannis has been incredible. But these playoffs, I think, don't sleep on. They're going to be pretty fun to watch. You know, I love the East. Um, I, and you're right. I, they are very deep. Indiana's very tough with Sabonis just crushing. And Miles Turner's kind of like a secondary guy who blocks shots and stuff. But Sabonis is really the big who he's much like Bam. They, they run the offense through him. He's triple-doubled this year. Um, the Celtics are tough. Both Jalen Brown and uh, Tatum are really <laughs> yeah. What happened? They had to just get some guy out of there, and now they're fun to watch again. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and looking where he goes, Kyrie, and he's, and he's hurt, and they're a mess, and, and Katie's going to come back as a 32-year-old off an Achilles. Like, what a mess that is. But, no, I like the East a lot. It's disappointing to see Philly drop because they were, like, the fun team to, to be excited about with, you know, Simmons and Embiid. But, again, Embiid hurt and all. Simmons has been – at times brilliant this year but yeah that's um the east is i think it's it's more fun to me than the west i don't know why but it's more fun have you seen philly's home and road splits it's unbelievable 22 and 2 at home nine, nine and eight <laughs> way and they're 22 and 2 at home it's ridiculous uh i don't like that i i, I think their starters are good when they're all playing together i just don't know if Embiid and simmons are, are a long-term fit for each other based on what we've seen Simmons has gotten better. They gave all that money to Al Horford at his age and the way the NBA is going. I just, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I think the Pacers are a team to kind of look at there. Uh, and, and, you know, we mentioned teams that might do things in the play de- in the trade deadline. The Clippers are an interesting case study uh, for how they're approaching this season, Todd, because essentially they've got the goods to go all the way, but they're punning on going for the top seed, and, and they could, you know, when all said and done, fall as low as three or four in the West. But they think that's okay. So I'm curious to see how the Clippers' approach pays off in the long run. It's it's a controversial approach. Uh, people are kind of getting a little upset uh, with, with the resting. But, you know, they're going to be dangerous as heck come the playoffs. And when you get those guys rested, I think they would have hoped that Paul George could stay healthier for them this year. He's, uh, you know, he's only played in 29 games. So, um I think they'll still have problems with the Lakers, though. I, I think the Lakers, that LeBron-AD combo is just its just a fearsome, it's like two Goliaths. Yeah, I, I do think that the Lakers' depth, and, and this is where they're going to need Kuzma to give them that third consistent option. If Kawhi's on in the playoffs, he is a stone-cold killer. So, I mean, the Clippers have had success in the regular season matchups, but that's going to be a heavyweight fight for sure. Uh, I think we can all agree, though, that every team in the league is happy that they're not the Knicks. Because that's just uh, that's just a disaster that keeps getting worse. You don't even know what the floor is because it keeps getting lower and lower every time. Firing their president now. They are a completely rudderless ship. I mean, they're just they're they're cast adrift. You know, like they they collected a whole bunch of random bigs in the off season. Who and I remember we talked about that at the time, but um, and and I thought it was interesting, and I thought they could make some moves with them, and they've sat with them. Maybe they'll make a move. I, yeah, they're they're messy. They're they Alfred Payton has taken the mantle uh, amongst the three point guards that really 
you know, are all underwhelming with a Natilakina and, and Dennis Smith Jr. They're, they won't play Mitchell Robinson big minutes. Um, it's just, you know, R.J. Barrett was doing some stuff, their rookie, for a time, and then he got hurt a bit. He's coming back soon, but it's a mess. Um, but it's a rudderless ship. You've got to have leadership, and they don't have leadership. No, they don't. Uh, It's a sad state for a a fan base that especially wants to finally be relevant again, but it doesn't look like it's coming anytime soon. Uh, Todd, before we we keep going, I I do want to, you know, talk about the All-Star game, not just the game itself, which we're going to dive into, but they did announce the Saturday night uh, competition members, and it's always fun to see, like, who's in the three-point competition, the skills competition, but I just looked at the dunk contest list, and I was like, Dwight Howard's back again? (laughs) That is so bizarre to me. I do not understand bringing back a mid-30s big man. Like, it's, it's always kind of a bit of a head-scratch when a guy who's 6'9 or above is in the dunk contest. You're like, well, of course he dunks, unless he's like some freaky, gnarly athlete, yeah. which Dwight was in the 2000s, but, you know, we're in the 2020s now. So that's a very bizarre ad. Connaughton, you know, he's the white boy with hops. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's fun to watch. And Aaron Gordon's awesome but they, they could there's so many other names that they could have yeah. also invited um jones is jones good though yeah jones is a good one i i think he could actually win win the competition um but yeah dwight howard it's like okay well <laughs> we're really throwing it back and yeah i hope they, they find uh they find the uh, appropriate size shorts for him but i don't think that's going to happen uh be that as it may it, it should be a fun all-star saturday night the all-star game itself they named the roster the, the starters were were based on votes and some other things and then you had the reserves so every year we got to do this who Ty do you think got snubbed there's definitely were two that come to mind because they're in the top 10 in scoring and Beal and Booker but those two maybe other names that you think should have got there who do you think got snubbed for the 2020 NBA All-Star game well certainly the the two B's that you mentioned Beal and Booker both um, really having their best seasons. Uh, they're both careering this year, and um, and and we and coming into this year, they were already great players. So, Drummond has been crushing. You know, leading the league in rebounding again. You know, 17 points a game, and you know he's not a bad passer. He's kind of an underrated passer himself as a big. But um, Zach Levine, you'd like to say Zach Levine, but actually, if it's between Beal and Levine, even though Levine's been a little healthier, Beal missed that little stretch. It, it, Zach Levine's having an all-star season, but I think Beal's the bigger snub. Yeah, um, this is the problem with the format, right? They do 12-12 and 12 East and West, but then they draft team players by themselves. Like, they don't really keep it to the East and the West. So, looking at it, we talked about how much the East looks like it's better. It's harder to find a spot, I think, for Beal on this team than it is for Booker if you're going to go 12-12. and 12, Right? Because, like, you look at the—or Levine, if that's the choice. Like, you look at the West, Todd— Booker should make it over both Paul and Westbrook, in my opinion. Why doesn't he? Probably name recognition. I mean, let's just let's just call it what it is. Definitely over Chris Paul. Yeah, I will. I will argue that Westbrook is still. I mean, you just it's kind of undeniably All Star, you know, production. Right, it, but, but if we're but, gonna res, if we're gonna reward players, I think deservedly so, like Kyle Lowry, like Bam, who are making a difference on good teams. You know, I, I just I think that's the problem. Then you have a guy like Trey Young who's starting, and their team's terrible. I, I don't think we have a, I don't think we have a perfect system for doing this because, it's it's partly oh these guys are lighting up the stat sheet, and it's partly oh these guys are helping their team win. Well, which is it? Because you know Beal's top five in the league in scoring. It, 
blend of the two. I think it's always, you, you have to blend. You can't ignore either. And it's, you know, sometimes the stats are so overwhelming that you have to, you know, not look so much at the record. And, and I don't like the mixing of, of East and West. I think, you know, I'm kind of a traditionalist. It's cleaner when it's just, you know, hey, it's the East versus the West. Who's better? Like, it's, it's the All-Stars, and then you see again in the NBA Finals. I, I don't, um, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, it's all over the place. Um, but, yeah, it's always fun to talk about. I just feel bad for those guys. I mean, the, the year Booker's having an efficient efficient season and, and Beal being the, the weapon as on the offensive end especially. At, at 27 points a game, and he's 50%. I mean, terribly efficient for a guard – yeah, it's and he's six uh, over six dimes a game as well. So really, yeah, real, real. That's a very legit snub, as is I think Beal. Yes, so the biggest we, two. So who do we have right now? We'll wrap up the NBA talk here. Who do we have right now in the top three in the MVP race? I think I know two of them off off the off the rip. But who would your top three be? My top three would probably be. I, you got to go Greek Freak. I think it's like a new career high in points and rebounds this year. Um, and almost in dimes, uh, and, and he just night after night he just does everything, and he's so active and so energetic. Um, and actually, he's doing this in less than thirty-one minutes a night. By the way, it's so if, if he was playing thirty-seven minutes, like back in the old days, yeah, you guy play thirty-seven minutes a game if he's your best player. Good God, the numbers! You know, what's that going to be like? Thirty-three points and fifteen rebounds? Jesus. Now, for number two, I'd like to – it would be Kawhi if he played more games. I, right. I think I would – but it's just – I might go Anthony Davis. See, I was going to say – I would say, Giannis, we agree on number one. I think two, it might actually be LeBron leading the league in assists. and be, See, that's where the Davis-LeBron thing is going to be, who gets votes. And then third spot, I have Dame Willard, who could finish as high as number two, depending on what the team actually does. But – it's hard, yeah. Kawhi is the one where I can't put him in the MVP because of the games played. Now, if if he like he's only about you know eight or nine back of everybody else, if he rides out the rest of the season, doesn't rest too many games. I mean, what's the threshold like? If he gets to seventy games on the year, or let's say sixty-five games, what do you think would make him yeah, eligible? Big number. I like the number seventy. Um, he's not going to get there though. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Luka Doncic, we can't forget. Right. I mean, he's cooled maybe a little bit. He's been injured a little bit. But um, let's not forget how ridiculous uh, his 9.5 rebounds, 8.7 dimes, and almost 30 points, 29 points a game. And he's shooting 46%, which is much improved from a year ago, his rookie year. Doncic has been incredible. Uh, as has Giannis, it seems like everybody's going for second. But don't sleep on you know the perennially underappreciated it seems like Dame Willard who just continues to light it up and can catch fire with the best of them uh, we'll see well he finally cooled but but that six game stretch was unprecedented he was literally 48 and 10 dimes and I think yeah. he had like 48 or 49 threes over those six games it was just an absurd little six great six game uh, scorching stretch absurd we'll see what happens in the NBA Todd Robinson money Mitch effects this was fun. Hey, before I let you go, any any thoughts on the uh, on the Grand Slam down under with Djokovic winning Title Eight in Australia and, and Sophia Kennan shocking the world and winning her first major? Any thoughts? Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> well, first of all, Joker. I, I, 
I was really surprised that team was plus 325 and then plus 310 pre-match, pre-final. And I thought that was a great value. And sure enough, he, you know, takes two sets, uh, two of the first three. But, um, you know, Djokovic is still, at times, he was just that unreal. And his return was so much better than teams in the match. That was a huge thing, I thought. The, the, the difference in return was pretty glaring because he can still just sting you when you're suddenly on the defensive and you're picking something up at your ankles, you know, right after you've hit yeah. a first serve. Like, what the F? <laughs> but uh, if team had his backhand down the line going better and his first serve at, at some of those clutch moments... I got to think he hoists the trophy. He, he's close. Yeah. He defends unbelievably. We saw a lot of examples because Djokovic's drop shot was working pretty nicely. And so we saw a lot of examples of team speed chasing uh, some of those droppers down, which were ridiculous. Yeah. I just, um, as well I, as scrambling side to side. I wonder, if, uh, I wonder if part of this is Djokovic's clutch in the big moments has been there before. Team hasn't. And he's been, you know, now 0 3 in Grand Slam finals. But. Part of it might be the, the whether I know the guy's unbelievably fit, Todd, but was the gas tank kind of on empty? All the all the long tennis that he had to play to get to the final, where Djokovic handled business and wasn't really tested. I think that stuff matters, especially in the Australian summer. Well, you're without a doubt, yeah. And it was like you know some eighteen something hours to twelve and a half hours mm-hmm. or something. So. Huge difference there. And McEnroe, I remember at one point, noted, and I think it was maybe the fourth set, like, look, he should be running around that backhand there. Because that's the other thing is I saw way too many backhand slices from him. And I think that's a tired thing where, like, let me just save my energy. It takes so much more energy to rear back and just crush a a topspin heavy backhand versus just, you know, getting there and slicing. It's so much of an energy saver. And I think that was an example of his, um, you know, energy levels being down just because, yeah, the guy had so many battles just to to be in that position. But... um, you know that that's where he's still he's still climbing the ladder, but uh, he's very close now. He is very close to, and and he could take a slam this year. I still believe. Yeah, the Kennan one was. It, it's not surprising because the WTA has had you know insane amount of parity, as I know you know. If you look at the last, I think we're into five years now. You just take the last five years through 2016. We've had I think it's now ten first time female Grand Slam winners. I mean that's an insane percentage. But her game really came together, and she is a feisty competitor. She stalks around the court, looks like she's just ready to fight whoever. But you know, she battled, and, and when she was down in that semifinal 6-4 in that first set tie break to Barty, won those last four points. That's the first time I was like, whoa, this girl might have the goods to put it all together. Yeah, no, she is, uh, you said it very well, she's extremely feisty, and she stomps around the court, and she always slams, she slams that ball down uh, right by her foot, and she has a defiant look on her face, and she, yeah, it's, it's, I was talking to uh, one of our announcers about her, Um, you know, it's just, she's so, so tough mentally, and it's, and she's on a tour, where, uh, you know, that that's such a huge weapon because so many of these girls just in Muguruza, one of them, are not that tough mentally. Um, and if you've got that, you know, because you look at her and you're like, well, she's a good athlete. She's got good strokes. She can Now, she absorbs pace, I think, as well as any girl on their tour. She can really take pace and deal with it, which that is a, a nice, a, a huge skill to have. 
but there's not a lot of obvious skills, say like a Coco Goff versus like, wow, look at how she moves. Look how, you know, she, look how many miles per hour her serve is. She serves like a guy for crying out loud. Um, you know, it, it's more obvious on an athlete like that, but, uh, nah, she's, um, it's in the tour again, they need someone to seize the mantle and be more consistent. Uh, you know, Halep has tried, um, but she's, it's just a long kind of dry spell for the WTA, and you've got Serena, who's now looking like she's really half halfway out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. I'd be pretty shocked, I think, if she ever won a, a slam again. Yeah. Well, Todd. I mean, most of the time when players look like Pennon does on the court, you know, it looks like they're about to come unhinged. And this is men's players too, but she puts it together. You know, like a lot of. <laughs> A lot of times when she looks feisty and stomps her on the court, you think, oh, God, if you see her for the first time, it's like this this person's coming completely unglued. But she snaps back into it and, and problem solves out there. And I was I was blown away by her competitiveness and her ability to, to come up with the big points. Good to see Muguruza back in the Grand Slam final. But, yeah, the WTA keeps going on in parity, and the uh, the big three continue to reign supreme on the men's side. So I guess it's on to the next, uh, the next major in, in the French Open, and we'll see what happens. And Muguruza, she was unseated. So she had, to show you the inconsistency on the WTA, a girl that talented was unseated going into the Aussie, and she makes the final. So, like, like is that going to happen on the guy's side? Never. Yeah. So every, it's like every major, literally, like, I think all but, like, two in the last six years, there's been about an unseated quarterfinal or semifinalist. Like I don't have this yeah. stat in front of me, but you're always going to have one unseated player make at least the final eight, probably the final four. So Anisimova at the French last year, yeah. semifinalist. She was. I don't even know if she was 18 yet. I think she was 17. Yeah, you had her, and uh, yeah, who did? Who did? Uh, I don't know about the U.S. Open last year. I know Andrescu, you know, won it and then catapulted up into the rankings. But um, yeah, it, it, it's an, it's incredible to see. But hopefully, as you said, someone will take the mantle because uh, we definitely need it. But, Ty, this was fun. The Te- WTA, I, I tell you, <laughs> for sure their top brass is itching for it. And, but, by the way, I think we have it, and its its name is Coco Goff because you look at her talent and her her movement combined with her power and that backhand, and she all she has to do is learn get, get that forehand together, and she's only 15. Yeah. My God. I think she could give a stranglehold on the tour and start winning tons of slams. I agree. I think it's going to be about two, three years before we see the rain start in that time. When Andrescu comes back, I'd look at her because on hard court, she's incredible. She competes, and I think like Ken, and she's mentally tough. So I think these next couple years, you might see some parity. You might see some players collect some slams that you weren't expecting, but... Yeah, golf's time is coming. I just I think it might be a little bit. But uh, check out your stuff. What Speedburner on sports? No vowels. Yeah, Speedburner on sports is down right now, but um, we'll do a chat when it's back up, and uh, yeah. and then uh, I'll get you there, and it'll be all uh, redone. Sounds good, Todd Robinson on the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks for coming on. No doubt, always fun to chat uh, tennis and hoops. Big thanks to both Todd Robinson and Ryan Souls for coming on today's show. In addition to the Iguodala deal, the Sixers and Warriors made a deal. Burks and Glenn Robinson Jr. going to the Sixers. And the Knicks did get a new president, Leon Rose, the super agent from CAA. So a lot of movement in the NBA, more to come today. We'll have to keep on the look for that. And always some good tennis thoughts from Todd as well. You can find every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect and it pops right up. And check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page as well as follow 
follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. That's it for today's Money Mitch Effect show, except for the fact that the Blue Jackets are awesome. Got to remind you that. Thanks for listening. I'm Mitch Michaels. Until next time, keep enjoying sports.